your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Tim Stützle, and you're listening to the Locked On Senators podcast. Welcome inside episode 265 of the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan in the heart of enemy territory, downtown Toronto, alongside Brandon Pillar up in Collingwood. And it's an Ottawa Senators game day. The team's 8-16-1 record goes into battle against the Flames following, well, Calgary got into one with the Oilers last night. Maybe Ottawa can catch them on the second half of the back-to-back, much like Calgary took advantage of the travel and, well, they put a beating on Ottawa last game. So a redemption, and it could equal a series win right now. Two wins apiece in this Calgary-Ottawa battle of the Kachucks, although they've been mostly held quiet. So we'll tee up that game. We'll also get in to the Belleville Senators weekend, an 0-2 stretch against the Manitoba Moose. How can we fix things? Is there a quick way? Things are not looking the way they have over the past few years down in Bell Vegas. We'll also have our Send Central Citizen. It's the weekend edition of LOSP. We've got Daniel Rainbird joining us today. Great story about how he became a Sens fan, and we get into his takes on the team today. All that and more. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Today is Sunday, March 7th in Pillsy. I gotta be honest, I'm sick of the Canadian division, officially. Well, come on, we got four more coaches. We gotta get fired, Ross. We're we're not done with the Canadian division just yet here. Yeah, that's a fair comeback. That part has been great, but man, in the last nine games, Ottawa's played two teams. I wanna tee up another opponent. Yeah, I I can understand that too. I think my biggest qualms with the Canadian division is how lost you get with all the rest of the league. Like in the three other divisions, I barely know what's going on, which which kind of sucks. You're you're tapped out from a big part of the game. So you got to pay a little more attention to those than you usually do. And it would be so, so nice just to have one visit from the Detroit Red Wings where we could <laughs> kind of feel like we're the big brother for once and we could bully them. Or I would love to see the Buffalo Sabres sometime this year. That would be a real treat to watch the Senators just pound a club that is absolutely in an identity problem for, what, the 10th year in a row. So I think that's probably my biggest qualms is you don't get the American teams and you don't get those teams that are kind of on the same weight weight class as you. So it's more more of this from the Ottawa Senators up against the Calgary Flames. Let's round five. Let's go. There is something new though. The coach behind the Calgary bench, Jeff Ward out, Daryl Sutter back in and well, he's 0-1 in his return behind the Flames bench. I mentioned off the top, it was a battle of Alberta last night. So let's see if Ottawa can catch some heavy legs. There were a couple of fights in that game, a very emotional one. Maybe there'll be a letdown afterwards. No morning skate for the Ottawa Senators today. They're going to do their media availability around 1.30 Eastern time. It's uh, just after 10 a.m. now as we're recording. So we're going to go based on the lines yesterday. And there were some shuffling in the top six. Now, Pilsy, Chris Tierney without a goal in 22 games. Is that a, is it a good move to put him with your offensive catalyst in Brady Kachuk or are you taking away what Brady can bring to the game? 
I don't think you're taking away the thing. And I've said this about Chris Tierney a bunch of times, right? He's not a guy that you're going to expect to put the puck in the net. Although the, what did you say? 22 games without a goal. That's definitely alarming. Yeah. Three goals on his first three shots. Like what a way to start the season. And then very, very, very cold for Tierney. But here's what I'm looking at with this Ross, Chris Tierney, probably the greatest chemistry he has with anyone on this team is Connor Brown. Look at those two on the penalty kill. Not only are they doing a great job defending, but they're also creating offense. Maybe not scoring on the offense they're creating, but puck possession in the ozone when you're a penalty killing unit is pretty spectacular. So for those two guys to be able to do that consistently, I think it's a smart move to keep them together five on five as well. And Chris Tierney hopefully is going to be setting up Brady Kachuk in front of the net in tight Uh, rushing down the wing, all those kinds of things. You want Tierney to be setting Kachuk up. It's not going to be the other way around, right? Like you're not expecting Brady to be setting Chris Tierney up. So I think from that standpoint, it's okay. And then you start looking from default. What other options do you have, right? You want to keep Colin White with uh, Nick Paul and Evgeny Dadunov. And then Josh Norris as a part of that uh, German kid line with Stutzla and Batherson look pretty good too. And then you're not going to put a Nisimov up on your top line either. So I think, that was more of a move done by default than like, okay, Chris Tierney hasn't scored in 20 plus games. Let's get him on the top line. Well, you mentioned it, Josh Norris being put on a line. He's seen some time with in the last few games, especially with Tim Stutzla and Drake Batherson. Josh Norris now second in rookie scoring four points off the lead behind Gabriel Kaprizov. I still think he should be disqualified six years in a pro league in the KHL, but he is tearing it up. He's got 19 points in 22 games. So he's got four more points in four less games than any other rookie. But Josh Norris has been on a bit of a tear himself. And, hey, what I love is is just how comfortable he is in the middle of the ice. So what do you think he's going to bring to that line with Stutzla and Batherson? I know a couple of times the last few games we've been mentioning that it just seems Anisimov's, like, the pace of his play in terms of how he processes the game – just isn't up to snuff when he's playing with these offensive, these guys with the elite offensive IQ that Drake and Timmy have. Yeah, Anisimov definitely couldn't be put in that position. I don't think that would make sense for anyone. And you want to give Josh Norris still good opportunities to score and succeed, but I don't think he's quite ready for that top line project that he was being handed night in and night out uh, to start the season. So having him on the third line is nice. And I feel like of the three of those guys, Stutzla, Batherson, and Josh Norris, Josh Norris can kind of delegate to Batherson and Stutzler, right? Like he's kind of the third guy on that line. So he's not going to be relied upon as much. And he's going to be more focused on getting those guys going. Like he's going to be the Chris Tierney of this line, right? So I think that's an all right situation. And those those three are just so much fun to watch together. So for, for that, I'm all for it. I do find it a little interesting on natural statric. You can, uh, you can check how a line is produced together all year. That, that trio has played 36 minutes together. And they're getting dominated in shot totals. They're minus 16 in shot differential at five on five. I will say, however, when that trio has been on the ice at five on five, the score is two nothing in their favor. But then if you look at it and Drake Batherson with Josh Norris, that dynamic duo from Belleville last year without Tim Stutzla, the results are a lot better. So I wonder if it's just a matter of getting more time. And we've also made mention that Tim Stutzla's analytics this year might not tell the whole story because what he can do in a vacuum and in a quick or off the rush chance and just the excitement that he can bring 
on uh, on the half wall, and especially seeing him up now on the first power play unit. I think that's enough to warrant this line getting second line minutes. I hope to see them all up at least at 15 minutes in the game, even more so if they get multiple opportunities on the power play in tonight's game. How do you want to see DJ Smith allocate this extra ice time? Well, the extra ice time is tough to kind of allocate now because you're hoping that you're not going to have a guy on the fourth line who's playing three or four minutes, right? The Michael Haley days are gone. Now you've got Ryan Dezingle, a legitimate top six forward playing on the fourth line. So you're kind of at a point with the forwards, the defense, that's a different story, but with the forwards, there's only so many pieces of the pie when it comes to ice time and you can only divvy it up so much. But I think where we see the ice time really change depends on the special teams because Chris Tierney and Connor Brown play exclusively shorthanded. They don't play on the power play. So that'll affect their minutes. And then Dezingle is going to be probably the anchor of that uh, second power play unit. Like he's going to be the finisher on that unit. So he's going to get a lot more time there. Five on five. It's going to be interesting to see how DJ Smith rolls these lines through. This might be dated by the time you're listening. We mentioned the Sens talking about 130, but who starts in goal for you tonight? Got to be Joey Decord in my mind. And I've, I've said this a couple of times. I, I want him going up against Calgary, not Edmonton, for a couple of reasons. A, tonight you're getting Calgary on the second half of back-to-back where Jacob Markstrom finally is healthy and he played last night. So you're getting the Flames backup goalie tonight. Again. I would put... Uh, yeah, it's Riddick again, but I like my chances up against Big Save Dave rather than uh, Jacob Markstrom. That's for damn sure. So you're getting a bit of an advantage there. So put your backup up against his backup, up against their backup, and then have Matt Murray ready to go up against the Oilers next game. I think that's the way you wanna you wanna approach this. But I don't think it makes a massive difference either way. But that's the way I would do it. Meanwhile, Pilsy on defense, it looks like Shabbat Zaitsev back together after that failed experiment of the Zaitsev Coburn pairing. So I'm sure Nikita thinks that's a the right move to put him back riding shotgun alongside Shabby. And then Mike Riley slated to potentially make his return. He was skating in his usual spot alongside Artem Zub and then Branstrom Gabranson. Oh, that makes me nervous to even say it. We'll see what, what can get Christian Willanen back in the lineup. This guy's gone seven games now as a healthy scratch. When would you put Willanen back into the mix here, Pills? Well, the only the time where Willannon should have been inserted back into this mix is when there was an injury and Mike Riley was out. That's a perfect time to get Willannon in. And instead, DJ Smith went with Coburn and that was a massive, massive flop of a failure. And I, I said it uh, last episode and I said it kind of tongue in cheek, but the Senators really did miss Mike Riley that game. And not because of his outstanding play or anything like that, just because it jumbled up that decor and we learned pretty quickly that Zub isn't ready to go up against those top opponent lines. He's not ready to have that kind of responsibility yet. And we learned that Coburn cannot play with Zaitsev and Zaitsev is much better defending those top lines up with Thomas Shabbat. So I'm happy that we get Shabbat Zaitsev back and that we get uh, Riley and Zub back, but I'm not sure when you're going to get Lennon in here. Like, I feel like it's pretty much going to be, the next time we see him, he's probably going to swap Branstrom out. If Branstrom has a bad game, then DJ Smith will put Willannon in Branstrom's place. I don't, this is tough for Christian Willannon because I don't think he's earned 
a great position in ice time on an NHL roster. But at the same time, I don't think he deserves to just be healthy scratched for what? What are we going on now? Eight games straight when you're putting guys like Braden Coburn in the lineup instead? That's not right. No, it's not right. And you got to hope that he, he takes advantage of his next opportunity because it's hard because you want him in the lineup. But based on his body of work, you can kind of see why the coach is a little more hesitant to put him in. His alma mater finished their season. The Nodak Sens are going to the NCHC playoffs. How's that for a spoiler? They've basically been in first place in the conference from day one. And our boy, the bean, Shane Pinto, a Hobie Baker finalist. And these stats and rankings are just absurd at the end of the season. He finishes leading the conference in points, goals, power play goals, face-off wins, face-off percentage, multi-point games, and multi-goal games. That is a pretty impressive resume that Shane Pinto is building. Oh, yeah. And Ross, the only, I'm looking at the graphic here, the only categories you didn't mention, he was second in the conferences in game-winning goals plus minus and uh, game-winning points. So like, it's not like he's only dominant at, we're cherry-picking stats and he's got a couple things he's really good at. No, he's either the best or tied for the second best at everything in their conference, like, or in their division. So that's just insane. And you love seeing Shane Pinto like that. And they're going to come in hot to up against uh, Miami on Friday, March 12th for the first playoff game. That is going to be great. And yeah, the, the run to the championship starts now. That's for sure. So we're obviously going to be all over this. We'll get our friend of the show. We'll get our buddies, Alex Heinert and Jake Brandt, the boys who call the, the NODAC games, but Just so you have an idea, the tournament, it's going to be at the Ralph. So at Nodak's home rink, single elimination. So it's going to be one weekend, quarterfinals, semifinals, and you get the final. And even if, knock on wood, but if Nodak loses in this tournament, I would say it's still very likely that they are given a berth into the frozen faceoff for the entire NCAA tournament. The winner of this tournament gets an automatic seed at the NCAA one, all the the conference tournaments. That's how it works out. But then they take the best teams that didn't win the tournaments from all over the United States. And that's how they fill out the schedule. So we're going to be all over that in the next few weeks. Really excited. Actually it's sneaking up, man. It's crazy that we're already deep this deep into March. So it's next weekend that we're really going to get the ball rolling on this. So looking forward to following that a championship on the horizon for a Senators affiliate, more or less. It's more than we can say about the Belleville Senators. We're going to break that series down against the Manitoba Moose following our Send Central Citizen. We're also going to tee up tonight's game. We've got our locked-on players, some keys to victory. And you mentioned with the Canadian division, you don't get the Detroits or the Buffaloes. Well, at Bet Online, the Ottawa Senators have been the underdog in every single game this season, all 26. So why not take a stab when they went on that streak, five wins in eight games, you were just raking it in at betonline.ag. It's the one place that has you covered the only place we trust for online sports wagering. It's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account. Here's how you do it. Betonline.ag, right? Put that into your browser. Then you create your free account. Use the promo code on your first deposit, there will be a prompt for it, and you put in locked on. When you do that, you get a 50% welcome bonus 
on that first deposit. So you put in $100, they are giving you free money, $50 right to you right now, right here. You put in 200, bang, that's 100 free paid dollars just for you. So what are you going to use that money on? Well, I say you follow Pilsy's parlay of the day. He's been a little suspect recently. You can't, you can't go all the time. It's like a restaurant. You do so well in the summer and that's when Pilsy hits. You use some of those winnings to, you know, stave off the leaner times in the winter and after the holiday season. So Pilsy, what is the parlay of the day? Why do I feel like, again, you're going to go back to the Tampa Bay Lightning? You're a smart man, Ross. That's why you've picked up on these patterns. And here we go. I've Let's let's say I'm waking up from my spring hibernation. I know you use the, the restaurant uh, analogy there, but I've been a little... So, Patio season is on deck, you're saying. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I've been a little sleepy, opening my eyes, yawning a little, taking a little bit of looks around the league. Now I'm getting ready to wake up. Let's get a three-team parlay win here, guys. I We're hitting the favorites heavy here. And if you're like me and you've been watching or at least keeping an eye on what's happening in the debacle of a city in, as far as hockey goes, the Buffalo Sabres are a disaster, and that's putting it nicely. They got spanked by the Islanders, so I'm expecting that to happen again. We're hitting the Islanders' puck line as the first part of this three-team parlay at minus one and a half at plus 115. Then, like Ross said, we're moving on to the reigning Stanley Cup champions up against the Chicago Blackhawks. Money line is minus 213. And the final piece of a successful Pillsy's parlay is the Boston Bruins' money line. They're up against the New Jersey Devils. Minus 247. Those are some... uh, some poor odds on that one, but combining it in a parlay, we're going to boost those a little bit for you. So three-team parlay is puck line, New York Islanders, money line, Tampa Bay Lightning, money line, Boston Bruins. Put 10 bucks in. You're going to win 34-38. That is Pillsy's parlay of the day. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get into the action and don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. It's Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, here he is, our Send Central citizen. It's Daniel Rainbird. All right, we are now very pleased to welcome this week's Send Central citizen. It's Daniel Rainbird from Centennial Sports Journalism. And what does that mean? It means he's one step closer to being another member of the Toronto media infiltrated by Ottawa Senators fans. But Daniel, welcome to Locked On Senators. You're an Ottawa boy, though, right? Before coming to Toronto? Of course. Yeah. You know, love my city. Um, Ottawa boy uh, through and through in enemy territory like you guys, but uh, I think I'm, I'm doing us proud here. Yeah, you certainly are with the hat too. I wish people could see the original logo never worn on a Jersey, but you're rocking the peace tower. Look, that's awesome. So going way back then, how did you initially become an Ottawa Senators fan? So, I I mean, I, I, I don't have like a real origin story. The thing about me was somehow I became a diehard fan during the 0405 lockout. Don't know how, but then you come into 0506 and I mean you guys have tweeted about this, the hot start that we saw from Heatley, Spez, and Alfie, you know, they're basically at two points per game and they weren't losing ever. So I was just hooked from that point on. And you know, I remember even like from from that point on I was diehard and I remember the Sens lost the game to the Canes. And I had nightmares that night, woke up the next day and 
told my dad I couldn't go to school and I told him why, you know, I said I had these insane nightmares where all, where all these hurricanes beat up Sens players. <laughs> and yeah, he wasn't, he laughed in my face and wasn't having any of it, but, but yeah, that just goes to show. I was just so hooked right away. Man, I have almost a similar story with uh, when it came to playoffs, we couldn't figure it out or at least my mom, but I was have to go home at lunch. I was just like nervous, upset stomach. And then she realized it was only on Sen's game days during the playoffs. And it was like, ah, oh, we're putting the pieces together here. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, hey, you got to do what you got to do to get uh, to watch your Sen's hockey, especially as a kid going to school. That's for sure. Now, uh, picking your team during a lockout, that's a, that's an interesting move. What, uh, do you remember when you decided, I mean, you were living in Ottawa at the time, so that helps, but, uh, what kicks, kickstarted your hockey fandom while there was no NHL hockey playing? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think the reason it was Ottawa was just the, the hometown thing. And I can remember, you know, always seeing Alfie on the cover of newspapers and that kind of thing. And I just looked at him in awe, you know, the Jofa bucket and, I just remember, I think the, you know, the 04 Cup final, a bunch of kids in the schoolyard were talking about it. And I, I didn't know really what was going on. Like I'm hearing Javi Bullen, Kiprusov, everyone has their favorites. And I didn't know what was happening. So I think that was kind of the thing. I was like, oh, I got to start following this stuff. You know, I was probably, you know, seven years old at the time, but even then. So at that point, you're you're coming in. There's so many stars on the team to choose from. But was there an unheralded player that you're like, that's my guy too? Like a Vaclav Verata or an Anton Volchenkov is always a popular guy. Yeah, so definitely Volchenkov was, was one of those guys. And, and Mike Fisher, I know he's a, a popular yeah. player. But he was, you know, the, the, the uh, Team 1200, you know, hardest working player. After Every night. Game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... Those guys, but you know, really, it was it was Alfie all day for me, and I, I know he's very heralded, but I, I don't know. I just just loved him from from the very get go. So he Alfie is my guy. I, I bought a jersey of his, and I got it like three sizes too big at the time because I wanted it to last forever. It still fits me now. So. That's a smart investment. Good on you for for thinking that far ahead. Uh, not only the greatest player in franchise history, but make sure you get a couple extra sizes so you can wear that even even longer. That's sweet. Now, what uh, what would you say? It doesn't have to be from the early days. It can be from any time period. What is the sense moment that sticks out in your mind the most? Like, what is your go to sense moment? Uh, I don't know. I, it's it's so tough, right? But you know, I can remember heartbreak when. Palmanville beat Alfie to score in 06 and knocked the Sens out of the playoffs. I just couldn't believe he'd done that to my hero. Yeah. But then next year, you know, Alfie exacts revenge, and that's obviously a, a massive moment in Sens history, probably number one. But I, I'll go to a different moment in that series where Joe Corvo gets the OT winner yeah. in game two. So, I, like – you know, the Sens lose to Buffalo and then the Sabres the following year are the hottest team. They're, they're crazy. And I think all year long, I was terrified of them. I think they won the and President's the Sens- Trophy that year, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Briere was going off. and um, Ryan Miller was nasty, too. And yeah. that was the same year they had the line brawl with the Senators, 07. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That was Emery and Peters, right? So... Joe Corvo scoring that goal. The Sens won game one, if I remember correctly. And then Corvo gets the OT winner, double OT. And the Sens go up 2-0, taking both games on 
home ice in Buffalo. And I think at that point I knew the series was, was sealed and the Sens were going to go to the cup final. So that kind of sticks out. I mean, it was, you know, I remember where I was, I was actually like visiting Montreal with my mom and she probably let me stay out past my bedtime to catch that double OT winner. So yeah, I love that moment. Yeah, Daniel, not only in overtime, in double overtime, Joe Corvo gets that one. If I remember correctly, it was a hopper, too. It just kind of found a a seam through, and those are the best goals. I remember Matt Carpenter scored another goal in an overtime game a couple years later, and like when those defensemen just put pucks on net in overtime, and you've been going back and forth, and you're waiting for something big to happen, and then it's just such like an underwhelming shot. It just makes the, the beauty of the win that much better now moving to today's nhl team and and the senators of course i'm gonna go with the, the question Pillsy likes to usually ask is with dj smith if you could be dj smith for a day what would the first move you make be whether it's reallocating ice time getting a guy who's out of the lineup in what would your first move be as sense head coach yeah so i think my first move uh you know i think i want to give dj smith credit i think slowly he's made all the right moves you know like he brought brandstrom up moved stutzla to the top power play those are things that i I wanted early on and slowly they happened i wouldn't complain if formanton or brown got a look either um you know going on the same trend of of investing in our youth there but I, the one move I think is just, is just an obvious one is to stop playing Artie Party. Hate, hate to do it to the guy, but, you know, he, anytime he's on the ice, it just, he, he just doesn't have that pace. And I would, I would much rather even see Matthew Pekka in there. And also, as I mentioned, you know, there's a, there's a center in Belleville who everyone's wondering whether he should be brought up or not. Maybe give him a shot instead of Anisimov. I know he's scored a goal last game, but besides from that yeah I mean that's the tough thing though like I'll, I'll stick on to Logan Brown uh for for this time and he hasn't been playing good in the AHL so do you just call him up out of necessity that you don't want Artie playing and just hope he figures it out in the NHL or do you think he's got to figure it out in the AHL and then once you see a good game or two then you call him up yeah it's it's so tricky because Brown definitely hasn't done himself any favors but I think if you if you brought him up, even if it was just for a couple games, you know, give him a, a shot on the second unit. I mean, that's one thing about Anisimov. You know, then he gets he comes up and then he gets pa- a lot of power play time, which you know I'd much rather just see Logan Brown there. But yeah, I mean, it's it, it's just a tough situation. As I said, though, like if if DJ Smith really thinks Brown needs to prove himself in the AHL first, fair enough. But then I'd insert Pekka instead of Anisimov. Okay, yeah, that's fair. At least it gets a little more speed in the lineup and pace, yeah. which is a huge thing. Now, everyone loved the NHL draft last year. This year, there's a little more uncertainty going on around that with the scouting world basically on pause, at least not being able to be in the arena for the leagues that are ongoing, whereas the OHL still not even playing. So it's such an unbalanced playing field for these kids. I know you wrote an article and you're starting your internship at Sportsnet. I love the piece, but what's your take on it? As I mean, you will go into the article and we'll retweet it for people to go in and read exactly why. But do you think they should be moving the draft back next year? I really think they should because, you know, I, they're basically in the article. There are two voices. There's Grant Clark, who, you know, is among the very elite prospects. And he he wants the draft to go ahead, but he's 
you know, how many players it's easy actually, for him to say that. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't blame him. I mean, who, who wouldn't in his position, but how many players, especially in this year where the draft is not strong, but even in any draft, it's pretty rare that they're actually playing on an NHL team the next year. So the other guy in the story, Jacob Frasca, I mean, he's a, he's a perfect example of why it should be postponed. He, you know, hasn't played yet. He's grown two inches and put on 30 pounds and he's going to be a completely different player. And I, I think most, in most cases, players are in that boat. So if I'm choosing between the two, I, I think it needs to be pushed back. And, you know, Brant Clark, you know, there, there's a chance he would have gone back to junior anyways. It's not a guaranteed make his NHL team. And then he'll go light it up, still be a top five pick and everyone's happy. Yeah, th- this is uh, really interesting because there's so many different voices that are affected. I think one thing that um, I haven't really heard anyone talk about in this scenario, and maybe you can shed some light on it, is what do the Seattle Kraken think about moving the draft uh, back a year? Because that's a team where you want to get some new draft uh, prospects in your system as soon as possible, especially you got a farm team ready to go. You want to you want to inject them with some youth. So they'd be starting their first season without any draft picks how do you think they're affected by all this yeah I think that that's a really good point and I I honestly haven't thought about it but I guess what I'll say is even even Vegas you know they 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 had a ton of draft picks their their first year but most of those guys went back to junior or something like that so it wasn't like you know I I don't know if they I know they didn't have an AHL team right away but I don't know if they would have filled an AHL team with draft picks anyways. So I think in the Kraken, yeah, I bet they're probably arguing for a draft to go ahead. I I agree with that. But I think, you know, probably 25 other teams are arguing against it. So, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how how it comes to fruition because you look at it too from just a revenue standpoint of of the excitement leading up to the draft and all the coverage. I'm sure the media is pushing for it to go on. But how much fun if they could do it in person two years in a row, like to have the 2021, then the 2022 draft in Montreal. I know it'll be uh, again, infiltrated by Sens army. If, uh, if things keep going the way they are now, I know we wanted to be in Montreal last year, but uh, circumstances as you, everyone well know, wasn't uh, able to be the case. Daniel really looking forward to seeing how your career blossoms. And as I mentioned off the top, another Sens army member in Toronto media, you just love to see it. So, Everyone, make sure you go follow him on Twitter at Daniel Rainbird. Daniel, really appreciate your time being a Sense Central citizen. I'm sure we'll do it again down the road. Guys, it was awesome. I wanted to be here. And uh, yeah, anytime, I'm happy to hop on. Stick taps to Daniel for joining us. Really appreciate that. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Daniel rainbird great writer as well i saw his latest piece on sportsnet and you can too check him out talking about the nhl draft whether it will be pushed back so great uh, great to have daniel on the show another senators fan infiltrating media in toronto you love to see that pilsy what you don't love to see is the start these belleville senators are off to what is going on back-to-back losses and well, they weren't necessarily close against the Manitoba Moose. That it is just sad. I mean, 
We went, I was so excited for this Belleville Center season to get started up. You and I, as uh, most listeners know, have a soft spot for Belleville working there for two years. And we thought they were going to hit the ground running and they've hit the ground, but they're just on the ground smushed and rolled over and flattened at this point after this weekend up against the Manitoba Moose, a 6-2 loss in the afternoon game on a Saturday uh, coming off another loss from those same Manitoba Moose. That is just terrible. The only bright spot is Igor Sokolov. Like this guy, we knew he would be a guy that could have success in the AHL right away. But I would honestly say, I mean, Formanton's doing Formanton things. But other than those two, that's about it that you're really looking at as positives for this team. Let's at least give credit to the entire line because Mark Kastlick had a great, like Mark Stone-esque pick of the puck to uh, set up Sokolov's goal in yesterday's matinee. And how about Cole Reinhardt, who we thought was going back to the WHL as an overager, seems like he is cementing himself as a real player in the AHL. He was a sixth-round pick, wasn't he? Yeah, late pick. Yeah, for sure. I think Daoust was the seventh round, and Reinhardt was the sixth. So how many guys step in from being that late of a pick to contributing right away in the in the AHL? I don't think there's many. So I, I think that's a positive you can look at. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll, I'll give that as a minor positive, but like as a – any major positives. There's not a lot in this team. I still like Parker Kelly's game. Uh, Troy Mann obviously has been highlighting him. Once again, go check out uh, Footy on the Air on Twitter. His game day threads are really good info about uh, what the coaches and players are saying after the game. And Lassie Thompson is looking a little bit better. Logan Brown's creating chances, but just even from the videos I've seen from Sens prospects and watching the game, like he doesn't look that interested out there. Like it doesn't look like this is a guy who's on his very last straw of a highly touted prospect trying to crack into the NHL. It looks like a guy who isn't that worried. Yeah. I mean, you could say the same for Vitaly Abramov. He was magic last year. Now he's got one goal, no assists in seven games. And he's abracadabra. He's a a highlight reel machine, but I haven't seen a single move of his either come through on sense prospects posting on Twitter or what, from what I've been able to watch, it just seems like all their work is being done by the lower guys in the lineup outside of Alex Formanton, who again, still only has two goals in seven games and he's a dash seven. So there's lots to look at in this Belleville team. But what I do like is that Troy man, he takes no BS, eh? He, yeah. Like, especially you compare it to different coaches, even DJ Smith and like Troy Mann's calling guys out left and right. He's like, that guy wasn't good enough. That, that guy just didn't do well. So I like that in Troy Mann. I think he preached what DJ Smith preaches in accountability. Troy Mann executes in accountability. Yeah, I like that. And I would have no problem if Troy Mann was a top candidate for the next coach after DJ Smith, kind of like what we talked about last episode. I really think, once the, the rebuild and the younger generation is over, DJ Smith's time here may be, may be done and we may see a little different move. I mean, this is, that's kind of similar to the situation in Calgary, right? Like uh, Elliot Friedman often says that uh, the Flames, their last couple of string of head coaches were nice, easygoing guys. Flames said, we're tired of that. We're going to bring you in a hard-nosed guy like Daryl Sutter, an old school guy who's not going to take any crap. And that might end up happening in Ottawa. Like, sure, DJ Smith is a player's coach that gets his guys to work hard. Don't uh, I don't want to take anything away from him. His his loose style and demeanor doesn't mean that the team doesn't perform and work hard. But I think once they get a little older and they need a little more accountability, you may see a guy like Troy Mann step in here. But 
back back to the topic of Belleville. Um, I I think also you're going to have to see a little bit better goaltending, like Gustafson allowing six goals. That's that's not going to cut it. Like you need to you need to be the saving grace here. You've had enough Belleville experience. You played great over in Sweden. You were the you were the prize piece of the Brassard trade. Like there, like there's so much that he kind of needs to live up for. And now he doesn't have Hogberg and Decord standing in his way. There's there's no question who the number one guy is. It's Gus. So he needs to go and grab it. Otherwise, I want to see more Mando in here, right? Like if if these are the kind of performances Gustafson's giving up, and I'm not blaming it entirely on him. This is a weak team. The decor is absolutely brutal, but you got to have a little more than what he's giving right now, in my opinion. Yeah, six goals yesterday, three goals on Friday night. So they lost 3-1 Friday, 6-2 on Saturday. But you look at Igor Sokolov now on a four-game point streak. How's that? for heating up he went and this is how you tell with a shooter right how many shots on goal seems simple right well through the first four games he had two shots in his last three he has 11 so he's starting to heat up he's starting to feel it two goals two assists over that stretch and we hope for continued development of Igor but you're right man when you're seeing Logan Brown and a Vitalia Bramov just really struggling to produce offense those are not good signs looking at Belleville. The goal for those Belleville kids is to get to Ottawa. And those Senators play their 27th game of the season tonight. As we mentioned, a 9.30 start. Who are you locked on tonight for the finale of this Calgary-Ottawa just back? What are we going to call it? Like a playoff series? They're supposed to be mini-series. This seems like it's just getting so extended. Yeah, it it really is. Um, But hey, at least imagine uh, we would have had to have Jacob Markstrom up against the Sens this whole time. That would have made things real tough. So the Sens did get a little bit lucky and are going to get Riddick again here. So they're getting lucky again. Um, I'm going to be locked on to Artem Zub. He had easily the worst game of his NHL career last game. It was atrocious. So I want to see him hopefully back with Mike Riley, a pair that they know each other. They play well up up as that second D unit. So I'm going to be watching him and seeing, you know, is was he just overwhelmed or is this a, a bit of a pattern that we might start seeing? Because Zub has been consistent overall, but are we going to start seeing him crumble a little bit here with bigger assignments? So that's the guy I'm going to be locked onto is Zub. Yeah, I think the familiarity of getting back with Mike Riley could help Artem Zub play well tonight. So that's a great one to be locked on to. I'm going to give you a hot take, and then I'll give you my locked on player. So because we already spoke about Chris Tierney, I'm not going to have him as my locked on, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say the goal drought ends tonight. Chris Tierney gets on the score sheet. I'm going to say Brady causes havoc in front, puck squirts out, and Tierney just bangs home just some garbage goal to get his confidence back. But my locked-on player is the third guy on that line. Connor Brown had such a great like middle stretch when the Sens were starting to string together some wins. I think that he's taken a bit of a step back here over the last three, four games. He was last in ice time among forwards in the last game. And yes, a part of that is the fact they only took one penalty, and that's where he gets a lot of his ice time is when you're killing uh, killing those those man advantages. But I think we need to see a bit more from him uh, tonight. So I'm going to be locked on huge opportunity for him uh, to get some, some offensive looks playing with Brady and, and Chris Tierney can maybe set him up for one too. So that whole top line, I'm going to be locked on to tonight pills. What about uh, from the other perspective, who are you looking to on the flames as a guy who might be an issue tonight? 
this is a guy that I think a lot of people don't really know well, but I've been kind of following him for the last couple of years, and it's Manji Apani. Uh, maybe not a household name, but this guy's got some skills. And up against the Sens these last couple of games, he was one of the guys I found was constantly buzzing, like getting good shots, getting him good opportunities to score, causing havoc. So that's a guy I'm going to be watching because I think often – the big three, Kachuk, Monaghan, Goudreau, they get a lot of the attention. But Calgary's depth pieces are actually not that bad when they're when they're clicking. So that's someone I'm going to be locked or <laughs> keep mixing those up. That's someone I'm going to be looking out for for the Flames is Mangiapane. Yeah, it's a good one. I'll say Milan Lucic. Uh, he's feeling himself. He got in a big tilt last night and um, he leveled Erica Branson in the last Yeah, time I was going to say Goody play. better be looking out for him. Yeah, he was playing big boy hockey. He's also got a couple of goals in this series. So Lucic turned back the clock a little bit to his Boston days, the way he was playing against Ottawa. So I'm going to be looking out for him. So you mentioned Mangiapane. I, I just have a funny little anecdote about him. That directly translates from Italian to eat bread. And it turns out, I've heard through multiple people, that he's actually a celiac. So he can't eat flour. So just ironic to the to the utmost degree. So I thought that was great. But you're right. He is a really fun little player to watch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, hopefully there's nothing but crumbs left for him at the end of the game. Nice. So a key to victory and talk about crumbs of Calgary. They got to eat well last night after the game because they have to quick turnaround. Uh, an emotional loss for them and me because I had money on them at betonline.ag and they could not pull through. Connor McDavid had gone three games without a point. You knew he was going to get one, but he got three. And they, they won that game in the third period off of a, a snipe from McDavid. So, I mean, just getting beat by the best players. Ottawa knows about that, but Calgary is going to be hungry. So I think that you have to take advantage of the first 10 minutes. If you're Ottawa, those momentum goals as well, that we're talking about, if Ottawa could come out here and score in the first two minutes, isn't that what happened in the two wins they got against Calgary? Like all these games are just kind of jumbled into one right now in my head, but I feel like Ottawa jumped out to early leads in the games they were able to bring home. Even the one where Batherson was at two points in the first five minutes, right? And he was heating up my my pro uh, my pro bet that I'm just losing all my money on of him getting three points. It was so close there. But I'm going to say, yeah, Ottawa needs to jump on Calgary early and often stay out of the penalty box and, and maybe good things will happen. I, I'm seeing a Senators win tonight. And if that is the case, Ottawa will win their third straight series, which would be pretty fun. I, I would love to see a Sens win here. And you you we generally have two big ones we want to hit on. You hit on the big one first, scoring early. I'm going to hit on the, the second obvious one. And you can't go one for six on the power play and expect to win an NHL hockey game. I am sorry, especially when your team was disciplined and only allowed one penalty. Like when the power plays are six to one, like that's 12 minutes uh, almost. I'm not sure how long each power play lasted, but uh, approximately that's 12 minutes. You had the man advantage and you only got one lousy goal. And I've been finding, I don't know what it is, but this year there's been a really abnormal amount of high sticking penalties, especially double minors. I feel like that happens every sense game is there's a double minor high sticking penalty, but the senators have to take advantage of that. And now you added another dangerous threat in Ryan Dezingle onto your power play unit. Let's let's see more from Zinger. I want to see him get a power play goal here. And I don't the Sens don't need to score six for six on all power plays, but you need to get ozone time. You need to have puck possession. You need to build momentum on those chances. So that's what I'm gonna be looking for. Is they don't have to score every power play, but I want to see some momentum being built from the man advantage tonight. 
Yeah, remember when they finally snapped that over 25 streak and they scored twice against Montreal? And then when they lost 6-3 to Calgary, their power play still went three for six, right? All their offense was on that power play. So you're like, okay, they're heating up. They're five for their last 10. But since then, one for 10 in their last three games. So great points there, Pilsy. They need, need, need to find offense with the man advantage because it's a lot harder to do at five on five. My last thing to say is play the kid line. I want to see Norris, Stutzla, Batherson on the ice early and often. Let them get their legs going, especially considering you mentioned Zubat his worst game as a senator. So did Tim Stutzla. Like, no question about it. He needs to bounce back. I think he will. So maybe at betonline.ag, you want to sprinkle a little bit on Timmy Superstar getting on the score sheet tonight. I know I will. We'll be watching the game, and we'll be back tomorrow to break it all down. For Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.